Let me pray so we can focus in on this amazing book that confronts us with life. Heavenly Father, we, we come together again this morning asking you to help us to consider what we know to be true but we spend most of our time ignoring and suppressing. Not to be negative or without hope, but so we can see with great clarity your plan for us and the future you have in store. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, as Jack Jack's mentioned at the beginning, we're doing this series, The Search for Meaning. And it just come to me this week that I spend my time searching for a lot of things. <laughs> Those of you who know me are laughing. I lose a lot of things and I feel like I spent half my time walking around the house going, where did I put my phone, my keys, my golf balls? The other day, the little attachment between two hoses so I can get to the back part of the lawn. This little bit of plastic, where was it? I could not find it, it drove me crazy and it was on the barbecue. It drove me crazy. I search for many things that are not important, that don't really matter. We are being pushed in Ecclesiastes to search for something that all of us, whether we really spend time thinking about it or not, really do want. To have some kind of purpose or meaning or value in our life. And Ecclesiastes is a book, this little obscure book that maybe you've never read before until this series, or maybe you've read it lots. This little obscure book is keeping on taking us back to this idea. Now, it's, it's January and not many of us have probably been here for the whole series, so I reckon it's good to get us all up to speed and if you're here for the first week, I hope it's helpful to uh, get you up to speed on what this book's about and how does it travel along. And, and so really, Ecclesiastes, can you tell me what that one word is that is summed up about what it's all about? meaningless and the original word was hevel we did a bit of hebrew i know nothing about hebrew to be honest but i know that word hevel is the word that's through all of ecclesiastes our english uh, bibles uh, that we're, we're using say meaningless meaningless some say vanity vanity that all of life is meaningless but the reason we went back and said hevel was because meaningless isn't the perfect capture of that word. That what Ecclesiastes is saying is, it's not that life is without meaning, it's that life meaning is hard to grab. That hevel is actually kind of a mist or a vapour. You can see it, it's smoke, you can, you can see it's there, but when you go to grab it, it's kind of unattainable. That life kind of seems like that. That's kind of the big overarching idea, 38 times scattered throughout the book, that idea is there. And we've been thinking about that each week. The way the book has uh, set this out is, there an, is there's an author who introduces his main uh, character, if you like, who we call like a critic, a guy who goes around and looks at everything and makes all these decisions about what the world is like under the sun. Observations of life. He's a critic. 
He looks at it and he sees there are problems with the world, that things don't work out brilliantly. He goes through throughout from chapter, uh, chapter 1 all the way through to the end and, and his conclusion is hevel. You can enjoy things but they disappear. In the end, there's this overwhelming sense of life is hard to attain meaning. But then the author comes back himself and gives a bit of a summary of everything the critic says and gives a conclusion. And Amanda in the kids uh, highlighted a little bit of his uh, conclusion in, in uh, fearing the Lord and keeping His commandments. This is the whole duty of everyone, that we fear God and keep His commandments. That's how the book is structured. And we kind of summarised it in a helpful way by using what type of food? Can anyone remember? What, what's the structure of the book? It's like what? When you go out... A hamburger, that's right. It starts, off, it starts off by saying everything's meaningless, it finishes with everything's meaningless and then in the middle, the meat explains that. That's how, that's, how, um, that's how Ecclesiastes is written. But it's not just a hamburger. What does it have on the side? The best bit, the chips. Those good, tasty chips which give you hope, right, is that God actually has a solution that there is meaning to life. And so, if you go back and listen to the talks online, you'll see that we're looking at three particular things that Ecclesiastes keeps going to. The first week uh, that we looked at these three things is that time is unavoidable, that time marches on and leaves us behind. Time leaves life meaningless. We're going to be forgotten. No matter how great you are, you'll be forgotten at some point. And then last week, we looked at the randomness of life, how some things happen to people, one to another, and there's no way of kind of really seeing why that happened, the good and the bad, one to the other. And as we finally get to today, these two things, time and the randomness of life, kind of come together with the thing that trumps them all, death. It's a tough topic to talk about. No doubt, it can be exhausting and heartbreaking for us, even when it's good and helpful for us to consider, it can leave us feeling broken. Our country today, uh, Victoria especially, is confronted... I, kind of see Ecclesiastes in some ways in what happened in Victoria, it's just so random. A guy driving his car up the tram lines randomly, just running over people who were just going shopping. Why did it happen to them and not to someone else? Their time is up so short and so bizarre and so wrong and it's heartbreaking, it's shocking, and it leaves us asking why. That's what I've heard in the reports and people's shock and pain. And it's just, it's just, why do things like this happen? There's no need for it. And so we get to death, and there's something that we love doing, and it's a good coping mechanism actually, we avoid it. We avoid thinking about it. We don't want to confront it. 
We want to leave it aside. It's tomorrow Michael's problem. It's not today Michael's problem. I'm okay now. It's like the exam that I had when I was a kid, that's in a month's time. That t- that's tomorrow's Michael problem to study. I don't need to do it now. I can go and play cricket. It's the confrontation I've got to have at work when this person has done the wrong thing. But they're on holidays for a month and so I won't talk to them about six weeks' time. That's tomorrow's Michael problem. I can avoid that. It's a phone call I've got to have with a family member that I really don't want to have. Oh, look, I can leave that till next week. That's tomorrow's Michael's problem. We can do those things. But death comes. And none of us in this room are stupid. We all know that. It's not like I need to give a talk and show you how the Bible says you're going to die because we do know that reality. I think the challenge for us today as we confront Ecclesiastes again is to see the implications. To confront that and what that means for our life as we live now and look to the future. So if you're willing, let's, uh, let's spend some time thinking about this a bit further. See, these are four things that I want to mention about uh, death. That everything that's said in Ecclesiastes by this critic about death is under the sun. What he sees in the world, and the first one is there's an inescapable reality. We are going to be, it's going to be for everyone. Let's uh, turn to chapter 9, if you've got a Bible in front of you. And let, me, let me read to you verse 3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, no matter how indifferent you are, no matter whatever it is, the same destiny overtakes us all. You can rule the world for a while or you can be homeless with no food. There is an inescapable reality. And so that leads us to our second point. Death is the great equaliser of humanity. We are going to die... And your status makes no difference to that. Now, many movies try to make the point that, oh, I can. That You know those movies that I quite enjoy, often many of them, the ones where we can freeze ourselves and then we can last longer into the future and we figure out how to live forever. All those kinds, there's lots of them. Who gets to do that? The homeless people or the rich people? The rich people in all those movies. But in the end, that fantasy land is not reality because all are going to die. Like even back in chapter 2 and in in Ecclesiastes, what I've discovered as I've been reading it over and over and over is in all the main points and all the themes that he's got in all the different chapters, death kind of is mentioned all throughout because it's where you end up. It's the big one. In chapter 2 verse 16... For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man 
too must die. What's that saying? It's saying you can be very, very wise. You can be brilliant. You can live this life well, doing all that you're supposed to, get the most out of it. Or you can be just someone who makes bad decision after bad decision, ignore God. The fool in the Bible is the one who continually rejects God and does the wrong ways, makes the bad decisions. You can be that or you can be that. And you die, the great equaliser. It's the same with the rich and the poor. It's the same with the righteous and the wicked. It's the same with those who seek to offer sacrifices to God and those who don't. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Let's read them again. I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him or share a common destiny the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. And as we saw in verse 3, the same destiny overtakes them all. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. Death is the great equaliser. We seek for equality in this world all the time, even in places where we shouldn't. But the reality is, where there is equality, is that once we're born, we're dying. Last week, when we talked about the randomness of life, we ended up, saying, well, life's random, but not to God. He's the creator. In chapter 12, where, that, uh, where we see that, in 12 verse 1, remember your creator, let me read a few of those verses to you and see where we get. We're going to die, but there's one who gives life. Chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed. You're going to die, but before you do, remember God, the Creator. Well, why are we going to do that? Well, he wants a relationship with us because why would we remember him if we're just going to be nothing? But the problem is, 
Ecclesiastes is always is kind of yes, but then you throw it in the other way and make it kind of not make sense to me. Because back in chapter 9, death seems to be the end, the finality of it all. Look at chapter 9, verses 4 to 6. Anyone who is among the living has hope because you're alive. There's hope that you can do things. Ecclesiastes is full of positive things as well about, well, life is tough. Life does have hevel, but you enjoy what you have. There is hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Great little illustration, really, isn't it? Lions always win. They're the kings. They take down all the other animals. Watching Zootopia with the kids and it's the lion who's the head of police because the lions rule. But you can't rule if you're dead and so the dog wins. You see, it's challenging for us, this whole concept of death. Verse 5 goes on to say, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. They are somber words, aren't they? They're worth considering. Once you die, you can't contribute to life under the sun. There is no way that you can actually enjoy your family who are under the sun. Play the games that you love to play. Do the work that you had a passion for under the sun. Death is hard. And I'm kind of purposely trying to take you down there with me. The last point, the fourth point, is the reality of who knows when. It's where that intersection with time comes back. Verse 12 of chapter 9. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. That is a hard word today, I reckon. When a little baby dies because a car drives into an area where cars should not be, for disastrous reasons, disastrous things happen. We don't know. It takes us back to what we saw last week, that we're not in control. We can't be in control because we have no control over death. We try to. We try to deal with it. We have a measure of palliative care over death. But we are not the creator and we don't have control. 
And sometimes the evil that's not of our doing can fall on us to the point of death. We can see through the time of history people who have died in villages where bombs have gone off. Going about their business, enjoying what they have and they are caught up in something that's fallen unexpectedly upon them. How do we make sense of this? What do we do with this reality? Well, Ecclesiastes on one level says there is one option you can do that isn't actually healthy. There is one option. Just forget everything, go party, get whatever you can and just go for it. It's really the view that um, you can take an atheist position which says there's no purpose or meaning to life so it doesn't really matter how you go about it just enjoy whatever you can take whatever you can and get it because it's all ending anyway it doesn't matter in the end morality has to fall apart and you can go down that path just enjoy on whatever you think enjoyment is no matter how bad that is for others go for it but another option is what we've seen over the last two weeks We have seen that Ecclesiastes says very clearly, in light of all of this, it's actually good for you to fear God, even though it doesn't always work out. It's actually good for you to enjoy what's in front of you. To enjoy the friendships that you have. To enjoy the family that you have. The good blessings that you have living in this great country. To enjoy the weather. To enjoy relaxing. To enjoy the things God has given That is a good thing to do. But it doesn't deal with death. And I think Ecclesiastes is actually wanting us to do that. You see, the critic doesn't have all the answers. Because he's looking at the wisdom that is under the sun. What he can see. And what he sees isn't the whole picture. The author points us in the right direction and actually there's moments throughout Ecclesiastes where there's a little hint that there's something more. See that all the way back, even at chapter 3, in chapter 3 verse 11, there's something really interesting in chapter 3. Where everything, there's a time for everything and time ends. In chapter 3 verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. There is eternity. If that is true, if there is hope, beyond the grave that is a game changer that is where hope is to be found in Victoria ultimately today that is where hope is to be found in your heart in your mind if there is eternity 
And Ecclesiastes here is pointing to the fact that God has set that in our hearts, the inkling that there is supposed to be something more beyond the grave. In verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, as I said. Do good, be happy, enjoy. Verse 13, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Revere. You know what another word for revere is? Fear him. It's the idea of seeing what God has given and the reality that's lying with death is that you have this extraordinary big reverence for God, knowing He is the Creator, knowing He is the Judge, knowing He can take your life. There is this genuine fear, reverence of Him. Like in chapter 5, verse 7. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. There is this need to fear God because that is where life can ultimately find its purpose, its eternity. See, these hints of eternity, the promise of eternity, are driving us to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes and just leading us to the bigger conclusion of God's revelation to us. You see, in the end of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, which we will labour in chapter 12 next week, so you need to come back for that. But as we, as we uh, see in chapter 12, in verse 14, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Remember your Creator have this right reverent fear of him and he will get things right in a way that you can't fathom. He's holding the whole universe in his hands and he knows how to do that. You can't even fathom the idea of doing that and he gets it right. And so, everything that's been uh, heard from Ecclesiastes, the conclusion is... When you know time is going to pass you by, when you know there are random moments in life where disaster strikes and some are bankrupt and some are wealthy and you don't know why, fear God and keep His commandments. Not that it's a good idea, it's the whole duty of everybody. The whole duty. It's our purpose. Why? Why do we do this? Is this just Christianity holding on to something to give them hope when there isn't truly any hope? Is it just what we do to get by? Is it just what we do to get past the fact that we're going into the grave? I would say yes, except for the fact that Jesus went to the grave. Except for the fact that Jesus went to the grave and conquered it and rose again. 
I want us to finish today where I said uh, in the outline it says remember the creator. Uh, I want to leave you with two points. We grieve with hope and we long for life beyond the grave. See, all this talk about death in Ecclesiastes and that it's going to come points us to we enjoy this time now remembering God because we can actually have hope. It's not that we don't grieve, we grieve knowing there is a future and so we long for that future. And the reason is, is because of what Jesus has done. And I want to actually take us to that great chapter where Paul the Apostle talks about Jesus' resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got a Bible there, open it up with me. The whole chapter, the, the, the many verses that chapter 15 is, is, is absolutely brilliant. But let me just read to you our verses 50 to 58. If you've never read 1 Corinthians 15 before, maybe do that today. See how what it's saying is Jesus conquers death. This very thing we're talking about in Ecclesiastes, that it's final, that it's over, that it's it, Jesus comes and flips it upside down because he dies and he rises to live forever. Let me, let me uh, read 50 to 58. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, which is still a bit confused about Jesus' resurrection and what it means and its implications. And he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That sounds very Ecclesiastes. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain, it is not hevel. If I was to use Ecclesiastes' word. That actually we can grab onto meaning in this world when we work for God. Because the very thing that the critic couldn't see because he didn't have the information under the sun is that Jesus has come. Jesus has come to deal with the very thing you and I have no chance of beating. Our rejection of God, our sin, which leads to our death. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? You're supposed to win death, but Jesus reigns forever. He is the king who rules forever. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you look with me at verse 57, you see what happens after his victory. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not unbelievably spectacular Jesus 
conquers death. And he says, I know you've been rejecting me. My father's ways you have ignored. But in me, you can live forever. The thing that you avoid, that you push down, that you don't want to talk about, that you know is coming, that you've had to grieve over time and time again with your loved ones, I'm telling you, I will give you life forever in me. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I want... I wanted to take you into the, the despair of death in Ecclesiastes because when we get to Jesus, we see the spectacular rescue that we have been given. Maybe today is the day where you consider you need that rescue. You need that victory. You don't earn it. It's not like there's all this talk of death in Ecclesiastes and you get to the New Testament and Jesus and Jesus comes along and says, yeah, yeah, everyone's going to die. That's what Ecclesiastes says. So I'll tell you what you do. You try and be a really good person and you won't. You'll live forever. That's not what it says. Jesus takes away our death. He deals with our punishment to give us life. For us, it is to respond with, be thanks to God, to turn back to Him, to repent, to trust in Him, knowing that we have life. Can I encourage you to do that today? Or at the very least, if it's pondering in your mind to talk to your friends about it, to pursue it further, I'd love to talk with you about it, to catch up with you about it, whatever way is going to be helpful for you. Because life with Jesus is life eternal. And so as I said, as we finish, how do we live knowing death is coming but there's life beyond death? Genuinely grieve with hope. Grief is real because we love because we are in relationship, because we care. It is right. It is good for us to grieve. But not with a fake hope, not with a hope of a funeral which says a whole bunch of pleasantries but doesn't ultimately give any future eternity. We can grieve in pain and tears, wishing Loved ones were here, seeing what's going on in the world, seeing what's going on in our country, we can grieve knowing that Jesus has already died and risen and that he is going to come back and that eternity will not have any of that. Grieve with hope. Because if it hasn't happened to you yet, and I suspect for many of you, real, genuine, deep-seated grief has not come. Remember the hope. Don't fall into a grief that spirals out of control and you forget the hope you have in Jesus. 
and for those of us who are living it now. Remember Jesus, remember your creator, renew your hope in him. Our pain is hard, but our eternity is sure. And so for all of us, can I encourage you to long for beyond the grave. This is not the best it can get. Isn't that a relief? Even in the good times? Holidays are good. I enjoyed them. But there were still a lot of annoying things that happened in the holidays. The kids weren't perfect. I think the kids and Jen would probably say, oh, I wasn't perfect. I'm sure they'd say that. It wasn't a fun time all the time. It wasn't without its annoyances. And it was the holidays. It's supposed to be the best time. It's January, it's holidays, and it wasn't perfect. And it's the best that it can be, supposedly. But beyond the grave, where there are no more tears and pain, that is what we should long for. Not for the overseas trip that will give us joy. Not for the hope of relationships as good as they are and right to desire and want. Not for whatever you're going to put in there now. What, what are the things you long for? Replace it with eternity with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is good for us, it is very good for us, and yet very hard for us to consider such a topic. You know where we're all at. Help us to see the reality of this world more clearly through your Son. Death is coming for us, but in Jesus, life forever with you is offered. Thank you for that. Help us to see that with clarity, to long for that. Thank you that we can say with absolute confidence, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thank you that we belong to a day where Jesus comes and we live in glory into all eternity. It's in his name we pray. Amen.